Scotty, as usual, I was dreaming and then you called. <laughs> but were you dreaming of me? Of course. And I think that you were calling to make sure I was dreaming of you, whether I was or not, because that's what I ended up thinking about. Well, I had I had sent you uh, several iMessages saying, are you dreaming of me that you've not responded to? So I thought a call might be more um, injecting straight into your brain. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. You injected with a sledgehammer. Oh, Scotty. Will we ever get adjusted to, to this the, the life of, of transcontinental plus transatlantic separation? I I think, John, we're just set to be poor, sad, pining old men. <laughs> and that's Yeah, that should be our thing. Poor, sad, pining old men for over 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, before you fell asleep, how's, how's your week been? Exco Ten is now um, officially went to went to GM and now is officially out. To, uh, are you able to use Exco Ten yet? I am. We were able to make a very fast transition and drop support for iOS Ten, and we were able to go to to uh, to Exco Ten uh, very quickly. Cool. So have you been using that for a while while it was in uh, beta or have you just gone to it this week? Some, some of us were. It always comes down to the build systems. That's that's. Uh, but this one was actually quite smooth because I what I did not realize is that th- they were, uh, there was a colleague of mine who was using uh, Xcode 10 for quite some period of time before we ended up making the switch over for Jenkins. So I take that to mean, uh, not that I ever bothered to look, but that uh, there was no problem with uh, having different versions working on the same project at the same time. Yeah, I think it's often um, it's more of an issue the more swift you're using, because mm-hmm. if the yeah, I mean build systems and, and especially if it's Jenkins, a uh, client we work with, there's been you know they have lots and lots of Mac minis set up to do their builds on, and every time Xcode changes, it takes forever for you know the more to be updated to Xcode. So it's you know everything is always miles behind, um, and that's often because it's you know in a swift project. It's um, you know uh, the version of Swift changes with each Xcode, and it, they're not always compatible. Yeah, so it is a bit of a pain. Keeps looking better all the time. Having <laughs> deferred to writing in Swift in any great, you know, greatly across uh, the the project until uh, until it's really doesn't have the the penalties. Yeah, I mean, one project Mon still has to go for nine point two. So yeah, there we are. That's quite a long way away behind now. I see yep. X point, Xcode 10.1 beta is also now available. So if you really like living life on the edge, feel free. Um, so what's been up this week? I, uh, I'm always preparing my, my run over by a bus scheme because I am getting on a plane uh, this coming Friday and I'll be out of the office for a week. So I always want to make sure everything is all tied up neatly and uh, I think I will get there. But I, I, I will have kind of come to a... a to, to to finish something that I've been working on for a long time and and finish in the in the kind of complete sense. I always remember uh, a colleague of mine many many years ago taught me, <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to, to to say this is how I used to think. But you know, I was at one point an engineer who worked on a software that was uh, delivered as a service. So I always used to think like, hey, the software is done and there's nothing to distribute. Just uploads to the servers. That's it. And this person gently reminded me that uh, there's a difference between software that compiles and a complete product, and you know, using that as a as a as a way of goading us into making sure all the end user documentation and the the 
everything, even even down to the 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 CD software label was done, and then only could you say that was done. So in that same spirit, I kind of never say that something is done until. Uh, if I'm run over by a bus, people will not even bother to pick me up. They'll just like, you know, keep going. Now, that could be as much something, uh, you know, a commentary on the fact that if I were run over by a bus, nobody would care enough to to even notice that I'd been run over um, as much as, as a sense of responsibility that I must feel to, to make sure that my absence is not missed. Yeah, see, I... I mean, firstly, I fully agree what you say that, you know, software, just because it compiles, it's not done and all, all the rest of it. And so making sure others, you know, whether it's picking, others can pick up your code or whatever is really important. But the question I always have is, you know, I mean, especially where I live, you know, everybody's worried about running, being run over by a bus. Really, where I live, there are not enough buses to kill that many people. <laughs> Um, <laughs> a bus would, would have to keep going it would get bored after they'd, they'd run through downtown East Bollockshire 10 times sideways like isn't there somebody to kill around here it would have to be a bus in some sort of death race <laughs> Mad Max style uh, yeah um, so yeah so it's uh, interesting so but I'm not sure you know I, I'm not sure whether that should make us feel safer that we're less likely to be run over by a bus <laughs> <laughs> because of course we're not looking out for them as much, so they could spring on us by surprise. But yeah. <laughs> so there we are. So your your Friday, you're heading out to Russia. You're going to uh, speak at a conference. What are you speaking about? I'm talking about uh, how we build truly world friendly apps. So it covers a couple of different topics. Uh, you know, f- one is is what we do, the links we go to to ensure super highest quality localization. As an as an end result, but the you know the tools and processes we use for doing it, and some kind of some of the the, the things that we, we we do to ensure that to happen, and some of the kind of stupid pet tricks we we have to do with Unicode to to make sure things work properly. Um, I'll be talking about uh, dealing with uh, hostile network conditions, and a hostile network condition could be as much as being somewhere in the middle of 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 kind of. Ghana, although I, I always hesitate when I say that because that's kind of the dirty little trick. You, the further you go in the world, the, the likelier that, that uh, you'll have really pristine network connectivity, mobile network connectivity, because you're not in a city and you don't have regulations about where you can put antennas and whatnot. Um, but uh, you could also consider you know, being on, on an airplane, a, a hostile network condition for a lot of different reasons. Um, and then talking about uh, making rich user experiences that, that work, you know, whether you do have great network conditions or bad network conditions. So some of the things that we do to make sure an app really works all around the world and in the real world. So firstly, that sounds really cool. Uh, that's a lot of content. How long are you speaking for? Uh, about 50 minutes. So, yeah, I have to I'm, I'm uh, I will have to be doing a lot of editing to, to make it down to just the, the, the best examples in those different topics, because each one of them could go for a long time. And uh, do you know, is it going to be videoed? Are we going to get to enjoy this and experience it? Uh, I would imagine at some point there will be, but it's also quite possible that uh, this will not be the, the last time I ever give this talk. You know, some extra extra effort was put into it because I, I probably will end up, this will be the first time I deliver it, but I don't think it will be the last. Excellent. So how long are you going to be in Russia for? Uh, just literally kind of, you know, three days, two nights. It's, and uh, so I'm, I'm going first to London. And then I'm going to Athens, and in Athens I'll be for three days doing some mentorship and uh, 
meeting up with 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 old startups and new startups from the Orange Grove because I've I've spoken about that before and uh, actually I will be there on Wednesday so we'll be able to record next week and I'll be from sunny Athens. Excellent. You can't say that we're not an international podcast. No, you're international podcasters of mystery. Mystery and when you're is in, why when, we keep going. When you're in Athens, I won't have to call and wake you up, will I? Not it. Not it. It's during the day, hopefully. Yeah. Although you could be having a siesta of some form. That's true. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Yeah. And how about you? Um. Yeah. It's been. Uh, I've been continuing to play with vapor. Um. Uh, that's the server side Swift. Uh. Framework. Um. Uh, this week. Um. It's. Uh, well, first, let me say it's pretty good, uh, as, as I said last week. So a week on, uh, I still think it's it's pretty good. I think the there are some concepts in it that I am used to from other projects. And okay, so everything on the web server is asynchronous. Or no, that's not true. Everything when you're working on a a vapor-based server is going to be asynchronous. Asynchronicity is at the is at the core, um, and uh, particularly as Vapor three was rewritten to work on top of the open source Swift I, um, NIO, which was the in networking project released by the I think it was the Swift team. It was announced earlier this year at a conference as an open source lightweight networking layer. Um, and so Vapor has been rewritten to to work with that. Uh, everything's asynchronous. They've implemented a uh, a version of futures and promises. Now I'm pretty familiar with the concept of futures and promises. Um, I know there are lots of third party frameworks out there that deal with futures and promises. Um, uh, just in case there are people who've not worked with them before, basically. Uh, Futures and promises are designed to work in a uh, an asynchronous environment where a a call will return something to you straight away uh, in the term in the in the form of what's called a future, um, but actually it hasn't finished yet, and inside that thing that it's returned you is a promise of uh, the result when it's ready will be in here and we'll let you know when it's ready type of thing. That's a very simplistic explanation. Um, and the way it's been implemented in Vapor is it's pretty good, uh, but it's um, the documentation isn't great, and it can get a little bit confusing. And especially when there are so many things that are going on that are asynchronous, and you end up having to chain a lot of futures together, which is part of the point of futures. You say, do this, and then this, and then this, and then this. Um, but often converting types along the way because of the Swift, uh, because of the strict type being the nature of Swift, it can get a little bit confusing. Now, I'm not sure if that is just because this is going to be generally uh, confusing or this is just because I've only been working with this particular library for just over a week. And, yeah, eventually it's going to be one of these things that's just, yeah, you just needed to let that, that click. Um, I'm thinking it's, <coughs> excuse me. I'm thinking it's a little bit like when you come to Objective-C and for a while the the square brackets are incredibly confusing and then suddenly it all clicks and the square brackets become incredibly useful of mm. you know, understanding how things break down. 
so I'm, I'm just waiting to see that but that's um yeah so that's good uh it's you know it's it's not confusing enough or or complex or bad enough or you know hieroglyphic enough that's maybe want to give up um one of the projects that i was working on in elixir i've started redoing in vapor just to uh just just to get some comparisons and um to possibly um uh, to use instead you, you see because the web app they've been working on the back end was initially looking in elixir and a framework called phoenix which is like um elixir's version of rails for ruby uh and in the front end on the web app we're using elm uh but the 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 trouble is with you know um not being an expert in elixir phoenix or elm the cognitive overload of trying to write a uh, you know a web app which's got a server and a front end component in languages and frameworks that you're not overly familiar with um does make it reasonably tiring when you're having to constantly learn everything now i know eventually all that clicks into place um and so there is a little bit of thinking that actually you know vapor is xcode uh it's swift yes there's a little bit of getting ahead still around the framework itself but there at least there's feel some familiarity there if we can make uh, uh you know everything that's written about vapor says it should be high performance um we know elixir is high performance but however the app we're developing is not going to be taking massive load so maybe if we can do that in vapor uh that just removes some of the cognitive overload and allows us to focus on getting the elm stuff you know with our, our knowledge expansion on the elm stuff for now at least on the front end um of course it didn't help that elm had a uh an update from point eighteen to point nineteen or whatever however they do it on the open source stuff in the last few weeks uh which has changed quite a few things <laughs> redoing but there we are so it's been uh but it's been quite good fun um and putting together unit tests that call into a REST API uh, is quite interesting. Normally, you'd be able to do a lot of the asynchronous stuff in XC test, but if, um, they've sort of thought of that in Vapor and put lots of uh, uh, allow you to call things synchronously for testing purposes. So, yeah, it's been pretty good. Still pretty impressed so far. Um, virtually, one of the problems is with Vapor being... Um, you know, rewritten effectively for version three and changed quite a lot. Is there? There wasn't a massive amount of documentation and help out there for Vapor anyway. There is, you know, even less that's relevant to the version three. And it's one of the things I find with, you know, the web is fantastic for finding things, but stuff goes out of date. And you never, if you're working with a technology you're not a hundred percent sure of or you're reasonably new to, you're not always sure that the stuff you're reading is still relevant to the version you're doing. <laughs> which is quite a challenge. Are you going to now have a separate podcast called Late Night Vapor to help you with the situation? Well, there we are. I would, um, yeah, I'm not sure I could cope with having to dream about two people. <laughs> oh, no, you're doing the dreaming, aren't you? That's fine. I can, That's I can find someone to dream about. <laughs> so I could be free. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, there is an opportunity out there, I feel, for someone to be um, uh, doing some more stuff on Vapor. Uh, there are a couple of books, as I mentioned last week, 
Um, there are a few, you know, there's there's lots of the, hey, here is server-side Swift in Vapor, let's do far new projects and, um, uh, and that sort of stuff, but very little getting into the nitty-gritty of it and really sort of working on best practices and, and the rest of it. So it's, um, yeah, and the two books um, that are bought on it, uh, the one from Ray Wenderlecht and the one from Paul Hudson, they take very different approaches to learning. Uh, to teaching, sorry, the 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 subject, and so sometimes you'll read it in one chapter and think, no, that doesn't make sense, and you'll go to the other one and it'll be okay. That's a bit more sense, and then sometimes neither of them makes sense because it's just the nature of this sort of stuff. But yeah, so it's um it's quite good fun. Um, not tried any real deployment yet with it, um, so that's um going to be interesting to see uh, how that works, uh, how easy it is to deploy. Because uh, one of the the issues with Elixir um, is it's actually quite hard to deploy. Um, yeah, I spent many a night scratching my head. It's so many moving parts, being a sort of fragmented system. So we'll wait and see how this goes, and we'll see. So um, yeah, I guess I'm going to be doing some more uh, hacking around with Nginx configuration files and trying to put stuff in front of it and make sure Elixir vapor servers stay alive over the next few weeks and see what happens all right so i have one last question then about this i mean what do you think the chances let's say five years from now of uh people doing of, of selecting vapor and and, and server-side swift versus node especially since it wasn't the whole promise of node to to make asynchronous networking you know uh easy or you know possible i think I'm not convinced that Vapor is going to take over, you know, it's going to become the new node. Uh, JavaScript is really well established. Um, I think where Vapor will probably get its market is, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of iOS apps that need a back end. And this allows the same developers to probably write the back end as well in the same tool set, same tool chain um, as they've written the front end. So you no longer, you, you might no longer need to have a back end team. This is for, you know, smaller apps probably. Back end team and a front end team, you can just have a team that does this all using Xcode and Swift and whatever. Um, so I can see that's where it might might really get itself established of course i could be wrong it could be the main web development tool of all time um uh i don't think that will happen though partly because i don't i don't think current web developers would want to adopt xcode as a plat is a as a development tool Mm. they like their text editors and command lines and whatever else But it sounds to me like the the the, the bigger hassle is, is this whole deployment thing. But I can imagine how, because you remember Parse, for example, right? And and Parse was a, was a, a great kind of platform for prototyping. I mean, I think there there were no apps. I don't think that were ever really at any reasonable scale for somebody to be able to say, oh wow, this is kind of really does work. It was mostly just you have an idea, you want to get something up and running, and it really was nice for that, and. A lot of the code, uh, at least a lot of the concepts, would would work on on Java with JavaScript clients and and uh, you know uh, Objective C and Swift clients and and then you know you could also then write what they I think they refer to as cloud code and 
that would end up just being in JavaScript. And so that's where it kind of fell down a little bit if you wanted to do kind of anything other than than, than basic data storage and, and all the ancillary things they did for, for kind of like email support and Facebook logins and, and, and push notifications and whatnot. But I, I can just, in, in my mind, while I'm hearing this, you know, was listening to you talks, I can imagine somebody would say, okay, you want your instant back end? Here are some great examples, and we've made it so that you can just, you know, hit build on in, in Xcode and it will, you know, run your thing locally, validate it, and then push it up to some magic service. And then all of a sudden your, your endpoint comes alive. I think there could be something like that. That's true. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying deployment is going to be uh, really difficult. I'm just saying I've not worked it out yet. And right. not, be, not being a Unix server person, those type of things tend to, take me longer than an expert would do because you know i i have to work out certain configurations and is this thing safe so i'm not saying that vapor will be any more difficult to deploy than node is or ruby on rails is what i'm saying is i haven't deployed it yet so i don't know um there is um, and in fairness there is a uh i think this is done by the same the team that do vapor a um a service called vapor cloud uh which is effectively a bit like heroku Right, it's for right. it's for Rails. It's designed to work with Vapor, and you just push to a repository type of thing, and it all does its stuff. So, right. um, you know, effectively, you I, I've not really looked at it, but you should be able to just uh, you know write the app and type some one command, and it all uploads, and your app is up there and all sorted right. out. Right. So it's again for small time applications that just need a very small server and. You know, like probably like Heroku, as soon as you start needing any scale, Heroku becomes incredibly expensive. Right. Um, but of course, you know, if you're getting that sort of scale, you should be able to afford to then manage your own servers. So right, yeah, that's kind so of yeah, so so yeah, so I think if you just wanted to, uh, I mean, because in, in in the book, the Ray Wenderlich book, it, I mean, you're constantly deploying. If you follow the book fully, you're constantly deploying to the cloud service to see it really online. I just have a bother with that because um, I'm looking. I'm a little bit, uh, yeah. I'm not sure about cloud services. I've been the same, exactly the same with Heroku. I think they get you, they do get you going really quickly, and they do get you something up there. Um, but the moment they begin to, and, and this is that their business model relies on. The moment anything begins to establish itself, and you have to start upping the number of uh, whatever they call them on each platform, they call them different thing, things. Is it Dynodes on Heroku or whatever they call it? I don't know. Don't, don't email me about it. Dynamo, um, I think it was. Dynamo, that's the one, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does start becoming uh, a bit more expensive. Uh, but again, if it's solving complex problems. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So hopefully, you know, uh, maybe next week or the week after when I've, initially tried to push something to a server which i will do before we go too far just to make sure this stuff isn't a nightmare when it gets there um of course at the moment i'm doing very basic stuff um things like node and ruby you know node relies on the npm module system where there are thousands of npm uh modules out there for people to do all sorts of things in and um uh, you know, uh, Ruby relies on the gem system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So people basically plug a whole bunch of stuff together to make their apps, and then write you know linking code around them. Um, Vapor is not going to have that, and you're not going to be able to. Uh, 
you will be able to use any um, Swift third open source code out there that only uses Foundation and its own code. Anything that touches UIKit or, or um, AppKit or whatever for obvious reasons is not going to be usable. And one of the, you, you do have the slight problem that obviously when you're running, um, when you're developing an Xcode, you're using the Mac OS version of Foundation, uh, whereas when you're running on Linux, you're using the pure Swift version of Foundation. Um, but there are some, uh, it was actually pretty easy and some pretty good instructions in one of the works on how to set up a Docker container to just run all your unit tests uh, on a Linux box uh, just on your own Mac as part of the, the as part of the um, testing process. Um, it's actually reasonably slick and impressive, uh, but it does show that you know a good set of unit tests to do complete coverage will be good because that's how you're going to know your stuff will run when you put it up on the server, which is a different platform. Wow. So it's quite good fun at the moment. It does sound fun, actually. Well, Scotty, if if people out there on the internet want to uh, put a cloud of vapor in front of you and see how you behave, how might they do that? Well, they should be uh, they should be vaping me on um, micro.blog as Scotty or on Twitter as MacDevNet. Or, of course, they can get hold of both of us by um, uh, sending an email to feedback at iDeveloper.co. Wow. Well, and anybody, what about you, John? What about well, you, Let, if, John? If, I, I want you to feel loved because you've been dreaming about me. Don't. I'm not going to leave you hanging there just to have to do your own sort of like stuff. I'm going to make sure, John. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who would love to talk to you as well. How should they do that? <laughs> well, they should find me on the Twitter as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. Well, short and sweet. See, yeah. an uncomplicated life for an uncomplicated man. Indeed. <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you again. Uh, and um, sorry I had to wake you up. That's okay, we Scotty. If, if uh, anybody had to do it, you know, I was all set that I to to kind of step towards the light, and and I kind of did. It was just you. So. Well, I was thinking, oh, he's fallen asleep because it's late at night, and you are an old man. Mm. Uh, and then, and, you know, should I just leave you? But I thought. No, I've had to get up. I've walked to the office. That's I'm exactly gonna, what I'm going to give, give, give. I'm going to give him a ring, the little schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, I look forward to a good trip. And I look forward to speaking to you next week in Athens, John. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, you take care. Thank you.